I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 16. I want to begin with one verse of Scripture and kind of break out from there. But this verse of Scripture has really been speaking to me all week long. And I hope it helps you like it's helped me. And usually I look for things that God has spoken to me that have helped me. And my prayer and my hope is it will help others the same way it's helped me. How many of you know preachers need help? <laughs> preachers need prayer. So please pray for me. Please pray for your, ser- your servants because they need it. Okay? In John chapter 16, by the way, I'll give you a title for my message. And it'll take a while for you to understand the title. But it's, In a Little While. In a Little While. And although, I think I counted six times, you find that very phrase, I'm speaking from the NIV, and mostly I'll be speaking from the New King James. But it's interesting, in verses leading up to the verse I want to talk about today, you find that phrase over and over. And I didn't even know that until this morning. And I had already um, kind of written out my notes. But, for instance, in John 16, verse 16, Jesus says, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Because I am going to the Father. And then, verse 18, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? And that's really not my message today, but it was just interesting, nice little confirmation that uh, it's mentioned over and over. But where I want to take you is verse 33. John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And let me read it also from the New King James. It's just a little bit different. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Say peace. Peace. Say trouble. They're different, aren't they? They're both mentioned in the same verse. Say, in me. Say, in the world. Interesting. Peace in me. Trouble in the world. And my favorite part of the verse is, Jesus has overcome the world. doesn't seem like it all fits at first. If, if Jesus has overcome the world, and he has, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. He triumphed over sin. He triumphed over the devil. He triumphed over the elements. He triumphed over death and the grave. He is king. He's conqueror. He's triumphant. He has gotten the victory. I think it's Psalm 98. We used to sing... The first couple of verses, it says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. And it goes on to say, His right hand and His holy arm has gotten Him the victory. I like that. Has gotten Him the victory. God sent Jesus into this world to get the victory. To get victory over sin, victory over death, Victory over the devil and all the demons and all the powers of darkness that are still raging against God. It isn't quite over yet. And that's what we want to try to understand here today. But I want to set this straight from the beginning. Jesus has overcome the world. Now, we would expect the verse to go on to say, because I've overcome the world, you're not going to have any more trouble. How many of you wish it said that? Both my hands were up. <laughs> well, Pastor, I'm gonna let me check here. How many of you like trouble? No. Oh, okay. Hands are down. I'm just making sure you're here today, awake and alive and well. We don't like trouble. No. I don't like trouble. 
I'm glad Jesus overcame the world, but can't we just change a couple words there and say, you won't have any more trouble in the world because I overcame the world? That'd be a lot simpler, Lord. That's not what it says. He says, you're going to have trouble. But you're also going to have peace. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind. That's why the Bible calls it peace that passes or transcends understanding. You can be in the middle of a hurricane and have peace, and then you stop and you go, this is crazy. How come I have peace? I don't understand why I have so much peace. That's, that's the peace of God. It has nothing to do with circumstances. But notice, peace is in Him, not in the world. So apparently, what Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples, he had been telling them, look, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to be put to death, I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go back to the Father, and then I'm going to send another comforter. They were sad about all that. They were very upset, especially when he told them he was going to leave them. But he kept trying to comfort them with the fact that Another counselor, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and take over once I'm gone. And yet, here he is still telling them, you're going to have trouble. And any preacher on the radio or the TV in a book or a magazine or anywhere who tells people, you're not going to have any more problems now because you came to Jesus, is lying to you. Okay? That's not being truthful. And the Word of God is very truthful. God tells it like it is. You're going to have trouble, but you can find peace in me. And underneath all of that is this foundation. I have overcome. That's already done. Now, say peace again. Say trouble again. Say peace and trouble. Doesn't seem to fit, right? But you'll see that it does. Peace in Him, trouble in the world, Jesus has overcome the world. Now, I would like to just spend the rest of the time talking about the triumphant Christ and His victory over sin, hell, death, and the grave. And I will talk a little bit about that. But we need to go back and fill in some other details too. But let's start with the good part. I love what the scriptures say about Jesus Christ. For instance, 1 John 3 tells us the Son of God was manifested to what? Try to dust away a couple of the devil's works? To destroy the works of the devil. Apparently nobody else in here is excited about that. I am. I hate the devil. I hate the devil and I hate what he's doing. I hate his works. I hate it when I see what he's doing in people, to people, and through people. It stirs me up. And I want to fight. I want to come against him. Well, so did Jesus. He came to destroy his works. He was not neutral. He didn't just walk around saying, Oh, people have demons. People have sicknesses. People have mental illness. Oh well, it's their fault. Leave them alone. No. He came to bust apart the kingdoms of darkness. Destroy the works of the devil. It gets even better. In Hebrews 2, you don't need to go there yet, but we're going to go there a little later on. It says, He by His own death on the cross destroyed Him who had the power of death, the devil. That's a little better. It doesn't say he came to destroy his works. He destroyed him. Well, wait a minute. That means there's no more devil, right? He destroyed him who had the power of death, even the devil. No, he didn't destroy him in that sense. He destroyed, he broke that power of death and sin through, ironically, his own death. How about Luke 10 where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And now, 
I'm giving you power. I'm giving you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And I'm going to give you authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing will ever hurt you. Was he lying? No. Did any of the apostles ever get hurt? They all died as martyrs. They had their heads cut off. History tells us that they crucified Peter upside down on a cross. These guys went through all kinds of suffering and and hurt. So what was Jesus talking about? I saw Satan fall like lightning. You can tread on serpents and scorpions, but he was not trying to mislead them into thinking you're never going to have any trouble. Matter of fact, quite the contrary. You read scriptures like Matthew 10. He promised them, you're going to be dragged into court. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to lie about you. They're going to falsely accuse you. They're going to do all kinds of stuff against you. But be of good cheer. Did you notice that here? Depends on the translation. The New King James that we just read here, uh, it says, be of good cheer. In the midst of trouble, we can be of good cheer. The NIV says, but take heart. Be encouraged. I have overcome the world. So, I could go on and on with scripture after scripture about Christ's victory, his power. He's ruling, reigning king over all the universe. That has to be the foundation Underneath everything else. But in troubles, in trials, knowing that he has gotten the victory, we can be encouraged. We can take heart. We can be of good cheer. We can even sing and rejoice. The Bible says he surrounds us with songs of deliverance. Hallelujah. I, I, I got a sermon this week. It's not this one, but... We have a friend who's in Florida, but he has family in Puerto Rico. And as Hurricane Irma was approaching Puerto Rico, of course, we were concerned for friends that we know there and talking to them and making sure they were okay. Long story short, he forwarded a video to me, just a short video clip, of what it sounded like outside. And this was even before the full force of the hurricane got to Puerto Rico. I mean, it just sounds like a freight train. When you're listening to this video, it's just the wind. Now, Tom and I both have lived in Puerto Rico, and we're quite familiar with a little creature there that's kind of the national emblem of Puerto Rico. It's a little green tree frog. doesn't get any bigger than one inch. It's called the coquille. And yet, it's so famous, if you ever go to Puerto Rico, they'll have keychains and calendars and everything with coquilles on them. It's it's like the mascot of Puerto Rico. (laughs) It's so funny. And the reason why is they're everywhere. And they sing, usually at night, and they have a sound like their name. They go, coquille, 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 coquille. That's where they get their name. So here I'm listening to this video of a hurricane, right? And in the background I'm hearing, Koki, Koki, Koki. I I played it back. I played it again. I said, you got to be kidding me. In the middle of a hurricane, this little guy is singing. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why can't I sing in the storm? Why can't I sing in the middle of my troubles? Why do I have to wait for the stuff to end before I can lift up my hands and give some praise to God? Because He's worthy right now. He has already gotten the victory. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. End of story. You might have a few troubles, but you can keep rejoicing. Keep singing like a coquille in the middle of the hurricane. Ephesians 1 tells us, God raised him not only from the grave, kept on raising him far above all power, all principality, throne, dominion, and might, every name that can be named. He is above it all. And the Bible says everything is under his feet. Right? And we're his body. 
Now, if everything's already conquered and everything's already destroyed, and that's what Ephesians 1 says, why, when you come to Ephesians 6, do you have to put on all this armor and get ready to go into the arena to wrestle? With whom? Powers, principalities, thrones, dominions, evil forces and stuff in heavenly places. So, this gets a little confusing. I have overcome the world. Everything's under my feet. But you need to have some armor on. Because there's still a battle going on. Some theologians refer to Christ's kingdom right now as the contested kingdom. He's king. But the devil and all of the demons are still trying to contest the fact that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And they're about to be done away with once and for all. But right now, there's still this little battle going on, and we're in the middle of it. And so when you become a Christian, maybe you didn't sign up become a, to become a soldier, but you did. You enlisted in the army, and you're now in the middle of a raging war between light and darkness, right and wrong, good and evil, God and the devil. And you know what's so nice about it? We already know who wins. We already know who wins. He already won. The victory is certain. He is already coronated and throned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And absolutely, one day soon, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's finished. There's no question about that part. The question comes, what about us right now? We're still here on planet Earth. We're still here in the world. And that's where he said this was going to be manifested. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Now let me say this. We've seen what God can do. We've seen it. I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm just saying very matter-of-factly, we've seen miracles. We've seen the power of God. We've seen in 43, 44 years the things God does. Heals the sick. Casts out demons. We've seen God stop hurricanes and move them. But sometimes He doesn't. And that's where it gets a little bit difficult sometimes for us to understand. And, for instance, I know there are a lot of well-meaning Christians that have been praying against Hurricane Irma. Go out to sea. Don't come anywhere near Florida. Don't come anywhere near Puerto Rico or any other place. Well, I'm sure you've seen some of the news clips. A lot of people have been hurt. A lot of stuff's already been ripped up and damaged. And it, it isn't over yet. So, does God not have power over a hurricane? Come on. I'll tell you what he does say. In the book of Nahum, there's a very strange scripture. It said, God has his way in the hurricane. Uses the word whirlwind. That's what it is. A whirling storm. God has his way in the tornado, in the hurricane, excuse me, in the storm. Another place in Psalm 29, it says, He sits enthroned, not on His throne of glory. It goes on to say, He sits enthroned on the flood. Now you've seen pictures of floods, right? What they do. Tremendous power. When you have all that water moving from point A to point B, it will wipe out anything and everything in its path. Buildings, concrete, bridges, they all get swept away when the flood comes. It's chaos. It's like unleashed power that's out of control. But listen to what God just said. He sits enthroned on it. So who's in control? God is in control, not the flood. God is in control, not Irma or Harvey or Jose or whatever else they want to call them. God is in control. But that doesn't exempt us from trouble. 
in the world you will have tribulation. I looked up that word and I looked at a couple different translations. The one that helped me the most was the Amplified, which gives you kind of a different, all the different shades of meaning of the word. The word tribulation or trouble there is translated tribulation, trials, distress, or frustration. Now, probably no one else here ever gets frustrated but me. Anybody have any frustration this past week? Both my hands were up. I'm not being facetious here, but most of my days have some kind of frustration. It just seems to be the order of the day. And try as I might to have, Lord, just please, give me one day of peace. Without the phone ringing, without anybody coming to my door, without any bad news, without any trouble, without any frustration on the telephone trying to get something done. Please, Dave, just one day without frustration. Once in a great while that might happen. But Job, I think, was closer to the truth. Man is born to trouble. We live in a fallen world. We are still in our unglorified bodies. So we're still in this fight. That's why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. You're still in a struggle. And there are going to be things that, from our vantage point, seem to be trouble, tribulation, distress, frustration. You'll have them. But here's the challenge. In me, you can have peace. Frustrations will come, but in me, you can have peace. In Acts chapter 14, it tells a story of how Paul the Apostle was stoned. I, I personally believe he was stoned to death. It doesn't specifically say that. He was stoned, they thought he was dead, and they dragged his body outside the city of Lystra. And then it says the brethren, the brothers and sisters from the church there, they gathered around him. That's all it says. And the next thing we know, Paul's up, he's well, and he goes right back into the same city preaching. Well, if he was dragged out of the city looking like he was dead, people are gathering around him, and the next thing you know he's going back into the city. I think a miracle happened. I personally think he died and God raised him back to life. And that's what gave him such boldness to go right back into the city and preach some more. But you know, right after that, he comes into Lystra with a message. You know what his message was? He came to encourage them. How did he encourage them? Praise God, brothers. The Lord is with you. Jesus has conquered sin, hell, and death. And you're not going to have any more troubles now. That's not what he said. He told those very people, through many hardships, we enter the kingdom of God. Paul, why did you have to say that? Can't we leave the hardship part out? It just, it seems like this was a theme that started with Jesus and the other apostles carried it with them. We're going to have trouble. We're going to go through tribulation. We're going to be tested. We're going to be persecuted. We're not going to be famous. We're not going to be liked. We're not going to be popular because of our stand on the Word of God. So what? Jesus overcame the world. Now, as I mentioned, sometimes we pray and hurricanes move. I remember many years ago in Puerto Rico, there was a hurricane named David. And we didn't have nearly the sophisticated radar back then that we, we have now, but you, you could see certain satellite pictures. And this thing was barreling straight for Puerto Rico. Powerful hurricane. And literally, when it got close to the island, it did one of these. Whoop! Up and over, and then kept on going. God can do those things. We know that. 
But he does not promise us that we're never going to have any trouble. And he certainly doesn't promise us we're never going to be hand to hand with the enemy. If you study Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God, and that wrestling match that Paul's talking about, this is hand to hand combat. You got devils breathing into your face and you're wrestling with them, trying to pull them down. It's a very serious kind of a battle. A war. And here's the reason why. In 1 John chapter 5, and I'm, I'm not wanting to give too much credit to the enemy today, okay? Please, please stay with me. He's already conquered. He's already destroyed. But for whatever reasons, God has not completely annihilated him yet. He's still around with certain influences. And notice what John the Apostle says later on in his life here, in his letter. 1 John 5.19, again I'm reading from the New King James, it'll be a little different if you're reading King James. We know that we are of God. Say that with me. We know that we are of God. And the whole world, I like the the. New King James here. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. NIV says under the control of the evil one. Now wait a minute, I thought he's got the whole world in his hands. I thought he had everything under control. Yes, but ever since Adam and Eve's fall, certain power, control, and dominion was surrendered to the devil. That's why he's called the prince of the power of the air. He still has influence. Anybody doubt that? He still has influence in this world. It's a fallen world. And even though we are of God and God is with us and we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, John says the whole world lies under the sway. The Amplified and uh, other translations say under the power of the wicked one. Hmm. Maybe that's why there's so much trouble. Because he's still around. And he's still pulling some levers. And God has given him permission, as he did in the case of Job, to do certain things. There are boundaries, there are limits. Job didn't know about all that conversation that was going on in heaven. Satan can't lift a finger against anyone without God's permission. He's under God's control. But for whatever reasons, God allows him to do certain things, ultimately to accomplish God's plan. See, Satan is a loser. He's going to lose. He knows that. We know that. But in the meantime, he's trying to cause as much trouble as he possibly can. Now, the next scripture I'm going to try to use to help us to put all this together. 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, starting from verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, I'm going to read. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Here I think it says faint. But we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, things which are not seen are eternal. In the world, you will have trouble. But we are not of this world. And we're no longer to be living for this world, being a part of this world. We're still here, our feet are on planet earth, but we're not of the world. We're of a whole different realm, it's called the kingdom of God. And what Paul talks about here, I think, is extremely important for every Christian to understand. It's about perspective. 
Perspective changes everything. Paul is trying to communicate a certain perspective that had been developed in his life through his relationship with Christ. It was an eternal perspective. And so looking at things from an eternal point of view, all of Paul's troubles, and trust me, he had a bunch of them. He lists some of them in his resume in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Stone, shipwrecked, and all that. But what does he call it here? Light affliction. Go back to verse 17. Our light affliction. Eh, Just a few light little troubles. Stoned to death once. (laughs) In prison for years. Just light affliction. How could he say all of that was light affliction for a moment? We know he spent years in prison. Well, compared to what? A hundred years? Well, if you're comparing it with a hundred years, then it's quite a lot. What about if you're comparing it with 10,000 years? Then it's not so much. What about if you're comparing it with a million years? It starts to get smaller. What about if you're comparing a lifetime of troubles, trials, afflictions, and frustrations with eternity? It's a moment. It's a light affliction. And in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. We have to get this. We are not of this world. Stuff in the world is crumbling all around us. We've got earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes. They're going to keep coming. I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying, this is what the Word of God has already promised. Things are going to be shaking in these last days. Don't put your confidence in the things of this world. Stock market, money, finances, the government. Don't trust in those things. Put your trust in the living God. Put your trust in the kingdom of God. Fix your eyes on the eternal. Now, you know, we all have these gizmos with GPS, right? What an amazing thing. I can just hit a button on my phone, and my phone knows where I am. Some of us, especially when we first wake up in the morning, we don't even know where we are. might be helpful to use that. Hit the GPS. Where am I? If it's functioning properly, you can go anywhere and that app is going to know where you are and where everything else is. How can that happen? Well, I'm not going to go into all the science and technology, but it's really quite simple. If you can imagine a mirror way, 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 way in outer space and we could bounce things off of that mirror, then I could have some perspective on where I am, where Washington, D.C. is, where Florida is, and where Africa is. But notice, this, this wouldn't work if we had something 20, 30 40 feet off the ground, or even 20 miles off the ground. They have to launch a satellite way out into orbit so that there's perspective. They're very distant from the Earth, so from the satellite there's a perspective. And using that, and a lot of computer technology, it can basically send a signal back and forth and say, I know exactly where Pastor Tom is. He's seating, sitting right there. And if he wants to go over there, I can direct him over there because I'm seeing everything from way, way up here. Well, we need to have a perspective that goes far off, way beyond this world, an eternal perspective. We just read it. If you can see it, then it's temporary. If you can't see it, with your unaided eye, then it's eternal. Doesn't mean it isn't real. We just need a different set of eyes 
That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes, not on that which is seen, but on that which is unseen. So, when I'm in the middle of a trial, a storm, a frustration, I need to deliberately pause and refix my focus on eternity. And remind myself, Jesus has conquered the devil, sin, hell, and death. He's king. He's going to be king forever. I'm going to possess the kingdom one day soon. And in the meantime, I'm going to find my peace and my joy in him. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking to see all these folks, for instance, in Houston that lost everything. Lost everything. And I'm not saying we should rejoice in that. However, God can use that for good. Because you start to realize, you know, all that stuff wasn't all that valuable anyway. It wasn't that important. It it can be replaced. Life can't be replaced. And if I still have breath, if I still have life, let me seek God now. Let me look for something that's more lasting than my house. Because I just watched my house wash away. What are they making such a big deal about cars and houses? You saw the millions of cars that have all been destroyed. Oh, my God. I have a neighbor. I just have to chuckle because I used to be like him. Now my car's 15 years old. I don't even care. But, you know, he's, he's got this car. And, boy, he's out there polishing it, shining it every day. I mean, if a, if a mosquito lands on it, he's got to buff it and clean it off. And I mean, that thing shines. So what? It's going to rust. Something will get it. And it'll end up in a junkyard with everything else. Why do we put so much attention on this stuff in the world? That's where we get hung up. Because in the world, you're going to have trouble. And if you're living in the world and for the world, you'll go all day and night, all throughout each week, troubled and frustrated because your world is messed up. My world isn't because I'm fixing my eyes on another land. Hallelujah. It's far off. Go to Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Very fascinating portion of scripture we've come to. I already quoted part of it. I'll start there and then work backwards. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that's Christ, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Okay? That's what Jesus did. Now backtrack to verse 6, Hebrews 2, and I'm going to read from verse 6 to 9. Bear with me if it's a little different, shouldn't be too, too much. But one testified in a certain place saying, and quoting from, ver- from Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now. Uh Uh-oh. You all see that? But now, key words. But now, we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And then he goes on into verse 14, stating... Christ destroyed him that had the power of death, the devil. So, all things have been placed under Christ's feet, but we don't yet see that fully. 
in our case. We do not yet, I like the word yet, it means this is just temporary. We do not yet see all things put under him. Again, here's my understanding of it. Christ's work is finished, is done. He said it is finished. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It's done. He destroyed the, the devil. He destroyed sin. He destroyed hell and death. Well, we still see plenty of sin. We still lo- see lots of demonic activity. We see a lot of evil going on in the world. And it, it's hard to reconcile all that unless you understand that in the wisdom and the plan of God, right now we're in this little not yet period. Not yet. It's coming. The ultimate triumph is coming when you and I, the saints of the Most High, possess the kingdom. But in the meantime, Jesus said, you're going to have a few troubles. Be of good cheer. I've overcome. I'm reigning. I've triumphed. And in me, you have peace. The the, the scriptures are full of examples of this. I don't want to bore you and belabor the point, but you can search them out yourself. In 1 Corinthians 15, for instance, we like to quote these verses at Easter. Death has been swallowed up in victory, right? And it has. It has. Jesus destroyed death. He overcame death. He rose from the dead. But if you read all of 1 Corinthians 15, there's still some unfinished business. It says he must reign until all of his enemies have been placed under his feet. And that last enemy, death, is once and for all destroyed. He conquered it. He overcame it. But people are still dying. There's still death in the world. Now, we have no fear of death, according to Hebrews 2, because he's already conquered it. And we know what's going to happen when we pass from this life. It's just like sleeping. And we're going to awake again on the other side in resurrection glory. But he also says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, So when this corruptible, talking about the body, has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality. That hasn't happened yet. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, I'm going to try to finish all this up as quickly as I can. As I mentioned... You have scriptures like Ephesians, Colossians, where he put all these powers and principalities to open public shame. He triumphed over all of them. He seated the right hand of majesty on high, etc., etc. But we need to put on the whole armor of God and fight with them. We can't just sit back now and say, Oh, hallelujah, it's all finished. I don't need to do anything. No. We have a lot to do. We have to be... Putting on that armor, we need to be filled with the Spirit, filled with the power of God. We need to be, as we talked earlier, you know, growing in the Word of God, making sure we have these foundations in our lives. So when trouble comes, we stand in the middle of the storm. Now, in Hebrews 12... Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to do the same thing again. I'm going to read a verse and then I'm going to go backwards. Let's start with Hebrews 12 verse 28. Wherefore, we... Raise your hand if you're a we. Okay, some of you... Not sure yet. (laughs) We are receiving a kingdom. I'm reading from the NIV, NIV here. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence 
and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Daniel had visions of the kingdom of God. He saw a rock. He saw a statue. And he saw uh, different kingdoms. The, the, the kingdom of Persia and, and all those different kingdoms represented Babylon, Persia, etc. And he even saw the Antichrist making war against the saints and rising up with blasphemy against the Most High God. But he saw a rock come and smash everything else to pieces. And he wanted to know what that meant. And God gave him the interpretation. That rock is the kingdom of God. And it will smash, obliterate, and destroy every other dominion, every other power, every other kingdom. But not yet. Not yet. Hasn't happened yet. There are still evil kingdoms in the world and there are evil kingdoms up above that we're wrestling against. But, he says, be thankful and worship God because we are receiving that kingdom. What does he say about the kingdom? This is important, especially when we go back a couple of verses now. Cannot be moved, or my Bible says, cannot be shaken. Cannot be shaken. If you're building your life on the rock, Christ Jesus, with a vision of the kingdom of God, my friend, you cannot be shaken. You cannot be shaken. But go back. Just to verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, referring to way back in Moses' day, <coughs> Excuse me. But now he has promised. Say that with me. He has promised. He has promised. How many of you like the promises of God? Amen. You have one of those little promise boxes that only has good ones in it. You know, my God will, will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Those are good. I believe them. I love all those promises. But this is a promise. What has he promised? Once more. I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. What's going to be shaken in these last days? Anything that can be shaken. Until only that which is immovable unshakable remains. I don't know if you've ever, you know, like shaken an apple tree or something to get the apples come off there and you shake and you shake and you shake and there are a couple that just won't come off. You know why? They can't be shaken. They're too firmly attached to the tree. That's the way we need to be with Jesus right now. Let the winds, let the storms, let the frustrations, let the trials come. I'm stuck to Jesus. Nothing's coming between me. Nothing is going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I will not be moved because He cannot be shaken. And I'm in Him and my confidence, my peace is in Him, not in the world. And again, we need this eternal perspective. I'm looking beyond this life. I'm looking beyond this world. To a day spoken of in Revelation 21 and 22 where there's no more death, there's no more dying, there's no more crying, there's no more curse. It's a whole new day. That's our hope. That's our hope. In 1 Peter, you don't need to put this one up, you know the scriptures. Peter says, cast all your care. Uh Uh-oh. We must have some stuff then to cast on him. Anybody here have any cares? Yeah. yeah, you got both of them up, so do I. Some days it's worse. <laughs> some days it just seems to come from every side. You know, we've had a really interesting summer in the Pratt house. And Fauci knows a little bit about it because he's rescued us several times now from plumbing disasters. One Sunday morning, we're all set to go to church. 
And Chandani happened to be spending that weekend with us, so she's all set and ready to go. And we're, I mean, we're literally going out the door to the car, and all of a sudden, pow! Steaming hot water is bursting out of the sink, and there's a flood taking place in my house. Had we left for church five minutes earlier, I, I don't even want to think about what would have been waiting for us when we got home from church. So, thankfully, I knew where to go to shut the water off, and reluctantly, well, no, joyfully and willfully and happily, servant watching came over later and helped me to start to put the pieces back together. But my old house, the plumbing and everything is so old, that one of the valves just blew off the wall and you had steaming hot water just coming right out. And we've had a series of interesting plumbing incidents and car breakdowns. And I, I don't want to bore you with all that because you probably have your own stories. But we have cares. Peter says, cast them all upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He goes on to say, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about. Apparently he's still well. He's still walking around. And he's definitely our adversary. Walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, listen to this, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. My friends, in closing, I want to tell you what my faith, what my vision is. We have just a little while. Hold on. Dig in. Make sure you're rooted and grounded in Christ because it's just a little while longer. Just a little while. And here we go. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 32. Hebrews 10, 32. Down to verse 37. But call to remembrance... Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated. He's telling them, remember when you first got saved. And what happened to you after you got saved? What happened to you after you got saved? You endured a great struggle with sufferings. Wait a minute. Pastor, I thought you promised me if I gave my heart to Jesus, it'd be a cakewalk. No, I didn't. Jesus didn't. That's why I said earlier, <clears throat> any pastor that tells you that is lying to you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, follow Jesus and it will be a cakewalk. That's why you need to count the cost. Don't play around with Christianity. This is serious business. I'm not trying to scare you, but it's serious business. Sit down and decide, I'm serious about this. I'm going whole hog. I'm giving it my all. Amen. Okay? Recall those days after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. You know, I've hardly been through any sufferings in my life compared to what many other Christian brethren have been through and are going through. But you know, <clears throat> the few little times God has given me an opportunity to be reviled or attacked or persecuted in some small way, that's my glory. I love to talk about those times. I'm proud of those times. And, you know, it's, it's actually like, is that all you have to brag about, Pastor? Pretty much. Somebody tried to run me over with their car. A demon-possessed man came at me with a butcher knife in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm still alive. I'm here. Okay? Those things happen. He's saying, remember those days. You went through some struggles, some reproaches, and listen to what he goes on to say. 
And verse 34, and you joyfully, say joyfully. Joyfully. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. What's that mean? Somebody broke into your house, stole your jewelry, your money, your car and everything, and you're coming to church. Hallelujah. Praise God, pastor. They took it all. Why are you so happy? Because I have hope. I, I'm pretty sure you were there, Pastor, uh, up in Boston years ago when uh, we were coming back from a service, and I think you were staying at Junior's house, and I was staying at David's house. <laughs> and I'm getting a couple of these incidents mixed up because he's had more than one trial and tribulation, but one of the events, when we got back from the church service, somebody had broken into his house and stolen everything. We've just had a glorious service in the church. He gets home and everything's gone. Most of us would be, <laughs> wait till I find him, I'll kill him. He just got down on his knees and he says, praise the Lord. Not worth anything anyway. Thank you, Jesus. You gave, you took away. He's talking about an attitude like that here. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Knowing something. You don't do that unless you know something. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Does anybody else here want to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. My home is not down here. This stuff does not interest me. It does not fascinate me. It just doesn't. I want to go to heaven. A better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For, I would even say, but, you have need of endurance. You need endurance. This isn't a, a 50 meter sprint. This is a 26 mile marathon. And you need endurance to get to the end. You need endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What's the promise? Next verse. For yet... There's the title of my message. For yet, a little while, and he that shall come will come and not tarry. In a little while, in a little while, he will come and he will not delay any longer. There's been a long delay from our perspective. Been a long delay from when he came the first time to when he's returning for his bride. But I will tell you something, he is coming soon. Amen. He is coming soon. And if you fixed your hope on this world, on the stock market, or on the government, or on people, or on family, or friends, you might get real disappointed. Furthermore, all those things we just read are going to be shaken. So why not place your confidence in that which cannot be shaken? Amen. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Word of God. Put your hope in eternal things. Look up, the Bible says. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. So when Christ who is our life, comes, we'll be ready to meet Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Your Word gives us strength, hope, clarity, vision, even in the midst of difficult times, shaking, storms. My God, just this week alone we've heard of three hurricanes and uh, 
killer earthquakes and all kinds of other stuff going on in the world. It seems like the world is going berserk. Millions of people fleeing for shelter from storms and from trouble. And Lord, it seems like everything around us is shaking. And you said it would be. But you've also told us that we can be of good cheer. We can find peace in the storm. Peace in you. God, I speak peace over everyone in this room today. Whatever trials, whatever battles, whatever cares, worries, fears they're dealing with, I speak peace. And God, I pray that we can find our peace in Christ and in Him alone. And though we may have a few afflictions, a few trials in this world, let us not forget the most important part. Jesus Christ has overcome. He's triumphed over the grave. He's triumphed over sin. And he's coming back soon. Ruling and reigning king. Father, we surrender. We place our trust in you. We trust in your word. The promises you've given us in your word. That in just a little while, he will return. And he will not tarry. We pray all these things in that mighty conquering name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen Amen and Amen. Praise the Lord.